This sermon content comes from Mercy Village Church located in Barbersville, West Virginia. And you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. A book that's been valuable to us as a family, we uh, don't do it as much as we should, but we try to regularly in the evening before the kids go to bed, get together and read something together from the Bible, pray together, um, sometimes sing together, although that really hurts my children's ears to have to listen to me, but Sally Lloyd-Jones has helped us shape that uh, time. She's written two great books. Uh, one is the Jesus Storybook Bible. Maybe you've seen that. It's got great artwork. It's absolutely incredible. But the, the my favorite is Thoughts That Make Your Heart Sing because we're usually like uh, way behind at the Bokel House, if you believe that. I mean, obviously it's probably shock to you, but we are. So we have like, you know, we got to kind of cram it in. Like the kids need to get to bed. And so she has in this book all these just quick little thoughts. They're all one page spread with great art. And, and she writes one here about the word redeemed. So I thought we'd start there. It's, it's written for children, but it's truth for us. The Bible says sin is in charge of us, and we are, all its, and we are its slaves. Sin is keeping us from being all we could be in every area of our lives. It has robbed us of our freedom, and our hearts are in chains. How do slaves get free? Someone redeems them. They pay the price to buy them back out of slavery and set them free. The Bible says Jesus redeemed us out of the slavery to, out of slavery to sin. How? He paid the price to get us back. And what was the price? His life. And then she cites Mark 10.45, same story that we'll look at today. The Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. We're going to talk about redemption today. Next week, renewal. Two major doctrinal themes in our mission statement. We exist to experience those things personally, to, to, to receive redemption from Jesus, to experience redemption in Jesus, and to embody that to others. And the same with renewal. We'll see next week. And we're not only going to discuss those two doctrinal um, ideas, but we're going to see how they are tied directly into the resurrection um, in the next, the next two weeks. Today we talk about redemption. And, and what I want us to see is that redemption is experienced through the death of Jesus. And the results of redemption, redemption's results are assured through the resurrection of Jesus. So the death of Jesus accomplishes it. The assurance of it is in the resurrection and redemption is embodied. We're actually going to see this in this passage. It's it's displayed in the selfless service of Jesus. So we have Matthew 20 today, verses 20 through 28. First, let's pray. Father, what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us, and what we have not, please give us. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. The flow today, right, we're going to have like a little 10-minute doctrine class. I'm not a great teacher, but I'm going to do my best. I I don't want to assume that any of us uh, don't know or do know what redemption means in a biblical framework. So if you already know what it means, you can rejoice in these realities. 
If you're, if you're struggling to define it, then this will, will help you out, and you too can rejoice in it. Then we're going to see the posture of redemption. So we'll see the doctrine of redemption, then we'll see this posture of redemption in this passage. And then we're going to see how it ties in to the resurrection, how it's rooted in the resurrection of, of Jesus. So Sally's right, though, to start where she starts. When she talks about redemption in her little paragraphs there, she starts not with redemption, but she starts with sin. Because the Bible is clear that we are slaves to sin. That's John 8.34. John 8.34, this is Jesus talking. We trust him, right? He usually gets things right every time perfectly. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Can't be any more explicit than that. Right. And redemption, right, is a is like a highlight in a painting. But how do highlights pop? They pop against the shadows and the shadows, right, against which redemption finds its beautiful pop, that highlight. Right. One of the brightest of the highlights of the of the story of Scripture is redemption. But it finds its pop against the contrast of the darkness of our sinfulness. The Bible says we are enslaved to our sins. Bob Dylan said the same thing. He said, it may be the devil. It may be the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Now, if you don't know good music, I'm sorry, but that's that's what good music is. But but that's what he said, right? There's no there. The myth, right, that you can be absolutely free is just that a myth. You're either going to serve your flesh right? The desires of your flesh, and they will be sinful apart from Jesus. You will be a slave to your own sinful desires, or you will be a freed slave, yet a slave to righteousness, to the good, master, gentle, and lowly Savior, Jesus. But you're going to have to serve somebody. So apart from Jesus, you serve sin. You're a slave to sin. And like Sally Lloyd-Jones says there's only one way to be free as a slave, and that's to have your way purchased out of slavery. And there's a price. You can purchase your way. If you could purchase your way out of the slavery to sin, here's the price, Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. It will cost you your life to be freed from sin. That's the payment required. That's a very, very steep price. And it would be very bad news if this verse ended there, but it doesn't. The full verse says this, for the wages of sin is death, contrast, but the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life. How? In Christ Jesus our Lord. That's redemption. Redemption shines against the backdrop of our slavery to sin. Redemption shines against the backdrop of a price that we can't pay to set ourselves free from slavery to sin. So that's where our understanding of redemption has to begin. And our freedom is brought through Jesus. But that doesn't mean that redemption is just a New Testament concept. It's actually an Old Testament concept. We, we begin to see it in the Old Testament. So I got to, you know, we're, like I said, it's a little bit of a doctrine class. I've got some Hebrew words up here. We're going to show the first is, is, is gal, right? And that, I'm probably mispronouncing that, but you'll see this in the Old Testament to redeem and to act as a kinsman. We saw that in the story of, of Ruth and Boaz when we were going through that in our Advent series. The second 
Prada, just kidding, Pada, right? To ransom, redeem, rescue, deliver. These two words are all through the Old Testament. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I've said this before. I have Bible software that I go to and I look this up. You can do this. I'm dead. I'm not like, don't ever, right? There might be other churches that you'll go to where you're like, I could never be as smart as that guy. That's a foolish thought here at this church. But I want to encourage you as students of the word that there are resources available to you at your fingertips. The vast majority of there's very good resources, the vast majority of which are free on the Internet. Right. That you can use to understand original languages and what God is saying underneath these, you know, our English scriptures. So this Old Testament theme with those two Hebrew words is carried on from Genesis, right? When they sin in the garden. And what's the first thing that God does? He kills two animals. And he makes clothes for Adam and Eve. They find, right, redemption from their shame, right? Because before, nakedness was not a thing that anyone was concerned with. But after sin, nakedness was a, was a place of shame. So God kills two animals and makes clothing for them. And in death, the shedding of blood, the price of those animals' lives, redemption, temporary, but redemption comes to Adam and Eve in the form of redeeming them from their shame. And it carries all the way through. I mentioned Boaz and Ruth. That's, that's a, a, a um, more human understanding of redemption. He buys the field back for Naomi. Boaz does. He buys it back for his soon-to-be mother-in-law. He redeems that field back to her. And then he redeems Ruth out of poverty uh, into a marriage with him and into to being cared for and, and taken care of. He's a kinsman redeemer. Another place you see it, closer to what the picture that God is trying to paint for us in the Old Testament of what redemption really is, is the people of God in Egypt. They're redeemed out of slavery in Egypt. They, you know, at the cost, right, of a lamb whose blood is put on the doorpost. Remember this, this right? The death angel going to pass over. So they put the blood on the doorpost. Or if you don't do that, then the cost of the Israelites' redemption was the death of your firstborn son. So death, purchasing, redemption out of slavery. It's all pointing to something. The Old Testament's all about Jesus. Remember, we're going to meet, see these folks again next week. Those guys on the road to Emmaus. Well, it's probably a husband and wife, I think. On the road to Emmaus and Jesus joins them. And they're like, man, Jesus is dead and we're so sad. And he was going to establish the kingdom. And he, instead of saying, hey, I'm Jesus, can't you see? He t- preaches a sermon to them. Through the Old Testament, he goes through all of the Old Testament, which is all of the scripture they had. And he said, don't you see, it's all about me. Jesus is everywhere in all the pages of the Old Testament. He's there and, and he's there in the theme of redemption. But primarily the threat of redemption through the Old Testament is those sacrifices of those animals. The blood of lambs and goats and oxen, turtle doves. Day after day after day in the tabernacle while the Israelites are going through the wilderness and the temple, once they are there in Jerusalem, bloody sacrifice after bloody sacrifice after bloody sacrifice. Last week we read that the, that the priest never sat down. They stood 
in the service of God continually because the sacrifices that they were offering were not enough to bring eternal redemption to the people of God, but they would bring temporary redemption to the people of God, redeeming them for their sins. Day after day after day. And so it's a, it's a theme in the Old Testament and it's pointing to the New Testament where we encounter Greek words that you can read, right? You can read that, right? I'm not even going to try to pronounce these two words. One means redemption, ransom, release. The next, very similar, redemption, ransoming, releasing. If you actually noticed, the last half of the second word we see the most is or the, the first word, that's the last half of it, right? So they're, based, they're, they're the same root, they're rooted in the same Greek words. But those are the two predominant Greek words you'll see in the New Testament talking about redemption. And the idea of redemption comes, right, not just pre-echoed in the Old Testament, now it becomes a very vivid reality through Jesus, the Messiah who had been pointed to throughout all of the examples of redemption in the Old Testament, he comes onto the scene and there's four significant passages that speak to what redemption is for the people of God. And we're just going to read them. I'm not going to preach about all of them, but I want you to see this. This is this is Christianity 101. Redemption is by far one of the very most important doctrines that you can understand because it is your life your eternal life your freedom from sin purchased by the blood of of jesus christ if you go to uh, romans 3 verse 22 you read this the righteousness of god through faith in jesus christ for all who believes and then he says for there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the backdrop. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation, payment by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the ones who come in faith, uh, come by faith in Jesus. Okay, just free thought. Redemption's costly. It is to God, but it is free to the children of God. Costly to God, free to the children of God. That's one thing you must understand about redemption. Jesus paid it all. And the currency was his blood. Hebrews 9, 12 through 15. It's another key passage from Scripture about redemption. It says he, Jesus, and this is the one that contrasts what Jesus has done with what was happening in the Old Testament. He entered once for all, right? The priests before were standing daily. All the time. Once a year, they'd go into the very back of the temple, the holiest of holies. One high priest would go there offering sacrifices. Daily, they would go into the the, uh, front parts of the temple and the tabernacle while they were in the wilderness. 
every day, over and over and over again. And the sacrifices weren't for all. They were for the individuals who paid and brought the sacrifices, right? There were a few sacrifices that were kind of for all of Israel, but the vast majority were just for one person or one family. But Jesus, once and for all, entered into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Not a temporary one, a forever redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, read Leviticus sometimes if you really want to have a fun afternoon, right? Or if you're trying to go to sleep. But that's, it's, it's speaking back to the rituals, right, of the Old Testament priests. If, if they could accomplish temporary redemption, temporary purification, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, He is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called uh, may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems us from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Again, redemption, right, at the cost of Jesus. But here, Paul makes, or the author of Hebrews makes another point, that Jesus was both the priest and the sacrifice. Perfect redemption because Jesus is both the high priest, right, the one who offers up the sacrifice, and what's the, the sacrifice he offers up? Himself. He is the offerer of the sacrifice, and he is the sacrifice. And he's perfect on both, both sides. He's the perfect priest and the perfect sacrifice. Okay, before your eyes glaze over, we'll go back to uh, Ephesians, which is where we started. We started this letter in chapter 1. The letter that we're going through will continue after Easter. We see another one of the key passages there, 7 and 8 uh, of chapter 1. In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So, all of that reading, all of that to just say this. Simply put, what does redemption mean? Redemption means you, if you're not a Christian today, you're still a slave to sin. If you are a Christian today, you were a slave to sin. You were enslaved to sin, and you could not buy your way out of that slavery. But God, rich in love and mercy, gave His Son, Jesus, who paid the price with His bloody death, with His life being extinguished on the cross, blood shed, purchasing your redemption, your freedom from sin. The last passage is where we find ourselves today, and it's, it's another word that's, that's introduced here, and that's the word ransom, which is basically the same thing. In fact, that word is, I think, oftentimes easier for us to maybe understand in our current context, the word ransom. If you think about ransom in connection with redemption, it's, it's pretty close. The way we understand it, right, as a ransom payment to set someone free from something, right, Except you have to imagine that it's a ransom payment that nobody on this planet could pay. It's a ransom payment unpayable by anyone but Jesus. He says in verse 28 of, of chapter 20, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom 
for many. That word ransom literally means the price of release for someone under the control of another. This is redemption. Controlled by sin, set free, right? Only one person could pay the price. God the Son, Jesus. That's the doctrine of redemption. Now, that might sound like, right, like a kind of a, that's a lot of scripture, that's a lot of, you know, you threw some Greek and Hebrew words up there, whatever. Here's what you need to hear. William Cowper, I don't know if you know this hymn. There is a fountain filled with blood. He writes, Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Another place in the song, he says, Ere since by faith I saw the stream thy flowing wounds supply, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. This doctrine of redemption is worthy of being the theme of your very life until your last breath. That's the reality of redemption. The fact that you must understand the desperate place you found yourself in outside of Jesus. No freedom could be purchased, none. But in Christ, redeeming love, freedom. Might redeeming love be the theme of our heart? Might this doctrine be so close to our hearts that that gratitude, thankfulness, joy, and worship spills out that this would be the theme of our lives. But what's cool about landing in chapter 20 is that we see the posture of redemption too. Right? Not the doctrine of redemption is essential. The posture of redemption is both convicting and encouraging because verse 28 comes at the end of a story. And it's a doozy. Starting in verse 20, the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons kneeling before him. She asked him for something. Mark tells this story too. He highlights, he doesn't highlight the mother asking the question. He highlights uh, James and, uh, or the sons of Zebedee asking the question. And what you, that's not a contradiction. Just means they all were there, right? They brought mom with them. They're going to leverage Mom's doe eyes or whatever, you know, whatever mother influence she has. So they bring mom with them to ask for this thing they desire. In verse 21, they said, he said to her, Jesus said, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit on your right hand and on your left in your kingdom. They want the seats of honor in the kingdom. They want to sit in the throne room of the kingdom. Now, Think about this, anywhere you have influence, anywhere you have power, anywhere you have control, right? Like even if it's just like a family dynamic or a work dynamic, or if you have a leadership position in a, in a church setting or a nonprofit, the things that you strive for and the things that you long for, ask yourself this. My friend Jamie is the most recent to have reminded me of this question. Who does it benefit? You want to check yourself, right? Who does it, what you're desiring, what you're seeking, what you're pushing for, who does it benefit? For the sons of Zebedee, it benefited two people, them. That's who benefited from it. That's a red flag. It should be a red flag in your own heart, red flag as you assess people who are leading, right? Who does it benefit? 
Now, a good leader, right, will lead in such a way that that all those who are being led are benefited from their decisions, including themselves. So it's not like leaders don't make choices that will ultimately benefit themselves. But when it's exclusive, it's exclusively, that's a hard word, when it's exclusively for your own benefit, right, that's a problem. And that's where they found themselves. And so Jesus answered, verse 22, you do not know what you're asking for, knuckleheads, right? You don't get what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, we're able. They have no clue what he's talking about. None. Like later he's going to say, okay, I'm about to be crucified. And they're like, what What do you mean? We don't get it, right? Like that's constant theme of their life. They have no clue what he's talking about. Jesus says the the one who sits on the throne is the Redeemer. And the Redeemer will drink the cup. What cup? Cup of wrath. You want to drink that? You want to drink the cup of suffering? You want to drink the cup of, of pain and agony? You ready to drink that? Sure, yeah, we're ready. What are we having? Kool-Aid? Right? Like, what do you got over there? I'd love to drink what you're drinking. Jeez, like that's maybe how they heard it, right? Got some Red Bull or something? I'll drink it. Is it stale? Like, okay, I, you know, whatever, I'll drink it. And Jesus, right, he prophesies over them just a little bit. He says in verse 23, he said to them, you will drink my cup, by the way. You don't know what it is yet, but you're going to drink it. And they will. They'll suffer for the name of Jesus. But to sit at my right hand and my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. By the way, and I meant to reference this. It's in one of the Gospels. Those who conquer with Jesus, which is all of us in Christ, there's going to, at some point, I don't know what it's going to look like, right? But I imagine it like we're all just going to kind of line up. And he's going to, like little kids, right, sitting on Santa Claus's lap. We're all going to get to, to take a turn sitting on the... This is reality. He can put you up on his leg. You can go sit on the throne with Jesus. That's dumb. Like, that's, that, sh- that should blow your mind, right? But it's so hard to believe that's real, right? But the other thing, God, I love what Jesus does here, too, because he kind of points him to that reality. But he also is saying, just go ask your father, right? You want to sit on the throne? I can't. Go ask your dad. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to answer that for you today. So now what happens? Obviously, the drama breaks out. Verse 24, and when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers, right? So they're like, what? These, these jerks, right, are trying to, to manipulate their way up. But you, you want to see drama break out? Just be selfish. You'll see it. So quickest pathway to drama is selfishness, right? I mean, it'll get, get you there quick. Right? You got a lot of drama in your life, and that either means you're saddling up with somebody who's really selfish, or you, and if they're not, then you're the one. You're the one that's, that's selfish, right? If drama tends to follow you around everywhere you go, right? That, that's a red flag. That wasn't even in my notes. Okay. <laughs> Here's where Jesus gets to the point, right? They have a come to Jesus meeting, literally. He says, stop everything. I got to talk to you. Let me show you the posture of redemption. In verse 26, he says, it shall, or verse 25, Jesus called them to him and said, you know 
that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. They flex their authority muscles. They manipulate, they control, they, they push people down, they step on others to get what they want. They lord it over others. They're, they're, uh, their great ones exercise authority over them. But he says, it shall not be so among you. Watch, watch the pathway to the throne. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. <laughs> the line gets real short, right? I was like, yeah, I, want, I want to be first. I want to be first. Okay, you got to be slave. I don't know. I'm going to go. Uh, right? Like, I'll go follow somebody else. The Gentiles, way easier to follow the Gentiles, right? I got some money. I got some prestige. I got some power. Then I can flex my muscles. I can be in control. So you got to lay your, your life down. Right? That's where first, right? If you ain't first, you're last. Well, I was, we're going to quote Ricky Bobby every week. Every single week. If you want to be first, be last. Slaves, right? Do unto others, right? Like that gets a lot. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? Like we read that and we want to say, well, that's okay. I can do that because in that I can still do to me what I want done to me. That's not there. What's there is do unto others as you would do to yourself. And even when it costs you something, you still do it anyway. That's what that is means and that's the posture of redemption because that's what jesus says he says i didn't come to be served god was skin on right angels worshiped him <laughs> they bowed before him he said i didn't come to be served i came to serve and give my life a ransom for many and so for us to embody redemption we must mimic jesus and that looks like selflessness servant heartedness laying things down but lastly what's this have to do with the resurrection 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you've got to see this. This is so important. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 17 and 18. Jesus, through the Apostle Paul, God through the Apostle Paul says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. See it? Can't be any more explicit than that. When you read about redemption in scriptures, almost every other place but this, you read about it on the back, the bloody back of Jesus' death on the cross. That was the price. His blood was the price of your redemption. What Paul just said is if Jesus doesn't raise from the dead, that check doesn't clear the bank. That check bounces, right, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead. And so your redemption hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. And the good news is in verse 20, because he says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. We're going to sing about that next week. We're going to preach about it. But that's every week for the child of God. Jesus has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. 
For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Your future, right? Redemption isn't just for today. You're not just redeemed from your sins. You're redeemed from all of what sin has brought and the curse in the world. You will be raised from the dead. Jesus was the first fruits, right? Like he was the first apple to like show up on the apple tree. It's apple season. But what happens after the first? So many others. And we are the second, third, fourth, fifth, millionth fruits. We too will be raised to newness of life, right? His resurrection, our resurrection. So not only is your redemption, freedom from sin, rooted in the resurrection of Jesus, but your hope, right, of eternal redemption is rooted in the resurrection because Jesus has been raised. You will be raised. And the good, and he celebrates that in verse 54 as we close. He says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You've been redeemed from sin. You've been redeemed from death. And what that means is that the final sum of your life in Jesus Christ will be the redemption of all things. Your pain will be redeemed. Your betrayals that you've suffered will be redeemed. Your wounds will be redeemed. Your suffering will be redeemed. Even your failings will be redeemed. Because Jesus died, was buried, and raised from the dead. And in doing so, he purchased in full your redemption. And the check cleared. eternally. Your redemption is forever. And if you're not a child of God, that gift can be yours today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 16, 31 could not be any more simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Redemption can be yours today by grace through faith. If you believe that Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection made it possible for you to be purchased out of slavery to sin, then that faith gift from God, that grace is enough. You can be saved. If you are a Christian, two things this week. One, experience that redemption, and two, embody that redemption. The way I would challenge us to experience this redemption this week, it's Holy Week, okay? Remember the cost of your redemption, if you want to, you can, I mean, if you want to talk to me after, I can show you resources, right? The daily readings, or if you have stuff that, that maybe you've already acquired over the time, things that you can pray, things that you can read this week, five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever your jam is, and remember, right, every, right, because this week's different things are happening every single day that point towards the cost of your redemption. When you follow the week that Jesus is about, right, to have, it points to your redemption. Remember that this week. Come on Friday, Good Friday. Spend some time here in, in prayer, reading, taking communion. If you, I mean, again, I know your schedules might not allow it, but if so, and remember. And then on Sunday, come ready to rejoice, right? 
This should be every Sunday again. But it's like the easiest of all the Sundays to come ready to rejoice. Because the cost of your redemption, right? The assurance of your redemption is sealed by the resurrection and then embody redemption. We saw that in Jesus. How can that manifest itself in your life? If you have been redeemed and then there is power inside of you to live like Jesus. You can't generate that from yourself, but Jesus can make that work inside of you and you can now can embody redemption to others. So two things. What are you, right, holding on to control of, right? Like, or expectations of service. Who in your life is not living up to your expectations because they're not serving you the way that you want to be served, okay? Can you let go of that? Maybe for an hour, maybe for a day, maybe for a week. Let go of those expectations. Jesus didn't come saying, okay, where, where's my slippers? Give me my slippers. Peter, you didn't put the coffee on? What? Right? That wasn't his posture. Some of your anger in your life right now is because you think people should be treating you a certain way and they're not. Can you let it go? Jesus let it go. And then number two, who and what, right? Who will you serve and, and what will you do to serve them? Is there a group of people in your, your life or one person in your life who this week you can very intentionally engage in service, selflessly, expecting nothing in return? And what is it you're going to do for them? That's what it looks like for us to embody redemption. Redemption is experienced through the death of Jesus. Remember that this week, Holy Week. Redemption's results are assured through the resurrection of Jesus. Rejoice in that Easter Sunday. Rejoice in that every day, but in particular, we're rejoicing that on Easter Sunday. And redemption is embodied in the selfless service of Jesus. So might we be selfless in our service of one another. Father, thank you so much for redemption. Thank you that it's ours. Thank you for freely giving Jesus. That's big. Bigger than we, when we like even are most deeply moved by it. When we think of that doctrine and it moves us and we respond to it either in, you know, uh, joy or weeping or singing or just, you know, sitting in it, whatever, even when we're at our most in tune to that reality, we still, we still are short of the worship and response that it, that it deserves. So fill our hearts with, with gratitude and, and joy with what you've done. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. And we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.